This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. If I haven't already made it abundantly clear by now, tri-type really matters. At the beginning of this season, we heard from an 827, Carrie, aka Cocaine Sunshine, and how they have a almost allergic reaction to the negative. And yet here we have Isaac, an 845, saying that from the youngest age he has rejected the things that are bright and light and positive, only to navigate way more comfortably the darker things. But these are both eights. We all know by now that eights are really good at denial. We are extremely capable of blocking out, shutting down, throwing in a vault, slamming the door, pitching the key, anything that we really don't want to see, don't want to hear. This is a really good reminder that you could have a room full of eights, all ruthlessly slamming down a wall on something, but it won't be the same something. The common denominator is actually the wall. And so listen in to Isaac tell us a lot more about those of us who are more comfortable with the negative, who in typical eight fashion stand as a haven for people out in the world. But in this case, it's the people who really need to have someone bear witness to the harder things, to the most uncomfortable things, the monsters inside them. Hey, you nervous? <laughs> uh, the part of me that is very five-ish, y- yes. <laughs> that part of me would rather be in a literal physical fight than talk to someone. <laughs> it was so freaking hard to nail down. Yeah, we are kind of um, elusive. I don't know if that's the right word. There's a cave-ish quality, potentially. <laughs> yeah, when I when I read that, I felt kind of offended about something that was really true. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember borrowing, it was The Road Back to You from a friend's dad. And if I'm remembering correctly, that book starts with the gut type and starts with eight, you know, to begin with. I read that, just about wept, and then I didn't actually read the rest of the book. I was like, this is me. I'm done with this. This is just me. Um, yeah. I don't need to read the rest. A lot of us nail it down so fast. Like we're not moved to tears about much, but there's something that um, we've heard a lot of eight say when they listened to our season one. That's what happened because they, they just weren't used to people expressing them in yeah. a way that was kind or, or true. Like for the most part, it's caricatures and it's just so it, not accurate. I'm an avid reader a writer at heart, an occasional martial artist, and a lifelong gym rat. I work a mill job, which for a tri-type nicknamed The Scholar is probably a little bit atypical. That said, I was never really able to fit into the culture of academia, which I feel is more sitzish than five. And I think there's a hidden nobility to blue-collar work, to working a job that isn't very glamorous, that's unappreciated or underappreciated at least that nonetheless just has to be done that keeps the world turning in the background and the lights on and i appreciate that i am an 845 with a nine wing and my instincts are sexual then self-pres i go back and forth sometimes on that exact order but i'm pretty sure it's sexual first and then I've just been in my self-prez space for large parts of my life, so it's it's well-developed. My social instinct, either way, is definitely my blind spot. Okay, and, and you must feel very, very similar to Emika, then, when you listen. Apart from the fact that he's a Satan worshiper. 
I mean, apart from that, yeah. Unless you are. But. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm actually in the basement of my church right now okay, while I'm awesome. uh, Yeah, no, he um dark, dark, dark. He did seem similar. I think his wing is a seven though. That's true. One of the things they say right about the nine wing is it's much more clinical and obsessive. I mean, Emika and the big hormone Enneagram crew overfocus, I think, on the negative. And I think they do it partly at least to counterbalance or be a counter voice to some of the more positive Enneagram teachers. That said, I think it does cause them to miss things or not state them at least. And here, I don't think they touched on how eight with a nine wing, it can have an ameliorating effect a gentling effect, make the eight a little bit more level, a little bit steadier, a little bit more able to consider other viewpoints. They glossed over the side of eight wing nine that really holds space for people, very potentially gentle with people. They said that eights with a nine wing might have more access to two. And while two is very willful, there is definitely a side to eight wing nine that takes care of people that can protect people. I grew up the oldest of what I called growing up an increasing number of children because they kind of just kept coming. So I'm the oldest of nine. The youngest, the last, is two and I'm 25. So there's quite the age gap there. But there's been a lot of redemption with the youngest one and it's been really good. There was a lot of stress, a lot of tension, and a lot of chaos throughout my childhood and adolescence for a number of reasons. We had um, a lot of father figures go in and out and a lot of actively really negative figures in our lives. I think that shaped me in a couple different ways. On the one hand, there's definitely a need for someone to be an emotional rock and hear people and really administer or speak to the emotions going on. And I think I took on that role a lot, especially for my siblings and um, my mom. And I think that shaped my nine wing and the four in me. On the other hand, a lot of the ways that my family responded to the stress and the tension, the chaos that we were going through growing up was to plan adventures, to gloss over the negative, to try to stay positive and really dive into what was light and not fluffy, but you get the picture. And I was just never really able to do that. I was never really able to not say the thing because it seemed like there were things that my family knew but weren't facing or addressing or acknowledging. It was innate in me to wade into the negative, wade into the darkness, wade into what's not being said, what's missing. I think that really shaped my four and my five in me. It's just a talent I've always had to face what, what's missing and give voice to it. After all, it's the things that are being said, the things that are hidden in the negative spaces, in the emptiness, or are just really negative themselves that can kill you or save you. With my family gravitating towards the bright and the positive and the sunny and the things that are plainly in the light, I felt like I had to bear witness to what was hidden, to the negative, to the dark, to the deep. I think that active rejection of the positive, of the bright, of nurturing, and in some sense, life itself, really, really shaped me, especially in my childhood and in my teens, as a person, as an eight, as someone with a lot of four and five in me. I understand a lot better now that my family, my, most of my siblings and my moms draw towards the bright, towards the positive, towards adventure and life is kind of just how they are. Just as I'm drawn to the deep, to the negativistic, towards what's hidden and unexplored and 
possibly a little dark. That's just kind of how they are. And I'm more fine with that. But also for large parts of our life, that was their survival mechanism, their coping mechanism. And I think as an adult, I'm now better able to see that, better able to appreciate that and hold space with some compassion for not just the negative, but the positive too. Do you have any good stories that kind of anchor you as an eight? I think I forget most of the details of my personal stories but that said, I, I was definitely very eight-ish from a very young age. I remember being like three or four or five. I w wasn't afraid to go up to strangers and just have full-on conversations with them. I was also very verbal at a very young age. I remember butting heads a lot with my parents, with my siblings, with my family and <laughs> other people too, if, if I felt like there was a good reason for it. I remember being lined up with my sisters, two of my sisters, and our biological father was chastising us about something, trying to pressure us to tell the truth about who did this or that. And I said, punish me, I'll take the blame purely because I'm impatient and don't want to stand in line, not because I did it. When it's the things I care about, when it's the people that I love, when it's myself, my family, my friends, my circle, my loved ones, I just don't give a fuck about what's in the way or whether it's last minute or not, or whether I'm prepared or not, or whether it's meant to be intimidating or not. I have tons of stories like that where there's a need and I just moved to fill it, just showed up because I couldn't do anything else. I'm not afraid to go the distance or stick it out or trust swords, if you will. I think there's something potentially very firm and unyielding and unaffected about eight in a crisis or when it comes to a matter of survival. We can just be very tough and not necessarily brave, but unaffected and willing to just cut to the heart of things. How would you describe your inner life? What's going on in there? And then how do you think people perceive you from the outside? I have a punchy answer to that, and then I have a longer answer to Okay, to let's that. do it. Let's do it. The punchy answer is uh, my inner sort of life is kind of an abyssal cosmic death, but if that was fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then the longer answer is that it's, you brought up the mental room with like uh, fives. I have, it feels like a mental world. Cool. Just whole landscapes. And if I had to describe my inner landscape, I'm standing at the bottom of this crystalline sea of fire. Mm -hmm. And there's this huge, like, abyss right behind me. But I'm looking up, mostly seeing all these, like, other people, you know, like, further out or these other thoughts further out. It's not scary or odd, but there's a lot of mystery. I look at things with a lot of sort of mystery, even myself. That. Like there's a sort of multitude in my head. And in some sense, the part of me that calls me me is just the part that observes all of them yeah. and tries to bring them to some semblance of sort of synthesis or not necessarily unity because they're not always fighting. They're just kind of coexisting. But I do very much inwardly relate to striding through the abyss or striding through a cave, you know, standing submerged in currents. Yeah, I don't get the fear of that that some people might. The four would be really okay with the mystery and not being able to like make it cohesive. You'd be okay with that. But then the five, they talk a lot of a lot of bit how you guys are always modeling. Like there's like a puzzle you're trying to click pieces yeah. into. So those are two different things. One is okay with it not coming together, and the other really wants it to come together. How would you explain how that works? I see how I do that. I think I used to struggle with that sort of um friction. 
a mm-hmm. lot more when I was younger. Gradually over time, I'm constantly picking up info and observing things and trying to analyze or take in info. And it's often, you know, I read all sorts of things and read all sorts of stories. And it's often info about people. And that's kind of what confused me with the eight four sits and how similar those can be. Because I am sort of oriented to people, but even then it's sort of an intellectual thing. And mm-hmm. I'm always what I call gathering arrows. Like I'm always gathering the info on people, gathering data on people and picking up details. Some of it nice and some of it not so nice. And I don't even think about it. I just do this. I just pick these things up. I make notes of like people's hurts or psychological weaknesses because if people come at me or betray me, I want basically to be well armed. And also on the flip side of that, I mean, it gives me the opportunity to speak into their lives in a meaningful or beneficial or helpful way. And how I reconcile those, the four and the five, is I don't always, (laughs) I kind of have to pour myself into a thing or really gather detail until I hit a wall. And then Mm -hmm. it's just, okay, I I can't go any further with this right now. Yeah. How do you feel about walls? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. There, there's something in me that's kind of just gradually as I've gotten older, more and more okay with just leaving things a mystery or leaving things that aren't mine to, to do or to know or to grab. I, I think five, they place a lot of boundaries and they draw into themselves. And the somewhat obsessive or compulsively gathering info or data sort of element of five, I think as I've gotten older, has mellowed out a little bit into, I'm fine with just like kind of doing my own thing or retreating a little bit and letting other people have their mysteries. There really is this natural hunger to create a mental map, an internal mental map of multiple pieces that you just file away and you have this brilliant way of doing that and clicking them into place. But what can go wrong is when the obsession reaches walls. And that can drive them to madness, right? It sounds like this is where you go, okay, wait, and you reach into the four, and the four actually just likes the joy of reveling in it. The four wants to just swim in that sea. Um, And it sounds like that's saving you from a lot of the agony. It is, I think. It did when I was younger. I mean, I got really frustrated. I would obsess hard over something for like three days and then hit a roadblock or a wall or go as far as I could and get really frustrated or restless or antsy. I think the four and the eight both kind of helped save me from that because, oh, I had a thought about the eight. (laughs) And now it's... The eight mm. won't let you stay stuck. That's not an option. There's a very sort of, I think, like potentially Hadean, as in like... Hades, like an underworld sure. quality, yes. potentially with this type, how obsessive and just zeroed in I can become. The eight of me just doesn't want to like wallow there mm-hmm. forever. My favorite episode of season one, I think, was when you had uh, Dr. Jerome Lubba on the show and he said something to me. I remember almost word for word because it really resonated with me. That the experience of being a phoenix is inherently tied to eight energy because you can burn a strong eight to the ground and bury the ashes and they'll still find a way to come back. The part of this tri-type that is very dragging you into the underworld and breaking you down, I think, is helped both by reveling in in beauty at four, you know, and reveling in in the mystery and also just the element of eight that is willing to just come back. I think that's over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And that part made me cry. (laughs) Oh, he killed me. Yeah. (laughs) He's good. He is good. The part that has to be acknowledged is that there's just no part of this tri-type that has something to smooth the way socially. <laughs> so I am very <laughs> curious about relationship for you and, and what kinds of things are a problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm laughing. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So socially, I think 
people kind of see me as very deep, intelligent. I think that comes through, but also kind of impenetrable, kind of inscrutable, kind of hard to get to know. And in some sense, I think I, I am very closed off. Just nothing's happening there that, that's drawing me into social connection naturally. It doesn't help that social is my blind spot, like as far as instincts, you know, I bond with like few people with a small, close knit group of people, uh, only a handful, you know. At a time, I've kind of always been that way. Social interactions are, I mean, I can navigate them and to, to some degree. I'm a good conversationalist, but nothing's really coming naturally. And I don't really feel the same impulse to, you know, gather in groups or connect in a sort of harmonious way with people. It's either the five who just wants nothing to do with it coming out or the four in me coming out who it also withdraws from people, but it also kind of like puts on a show to draw people in. They're dramatic. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, <laughs> four has a four has a, a push pull. I, so I'm curious then, who made the cut? Like, who are the people that made it in, and and why do you think they made it in? I remember thinking, I, I want to be friends with the people that are actively doing something, that are learning and growing, and people that are excellent in some way, or that I can talk to and have like a sort of deep conversation with. I think that is an element of like the sexual instinct coming out, you know, a small group of really excellent people, really cool people. Yeah. Like I, w- I was talking with one of my friends and someone else tried to like interject and I, I was closed off to him. I didn't really like acknowledge him. I didn't cut him off. Like I didn't cut into him or lay into him, but he just wasn't as good. <laughs> I was having this like intense, well, not intense, like fighting intense, but like just this cool like back and forth discussion with one of my friends and just everything else sort of fell away. <laughs> Focusing on one thing is kind of a potential problem. So one of the hallmarks of this tri-type is that, well, the quote is, I have a lot of love and a lot of hate. So there's yeah, yeah, rapid oscillations of emotion. And you're like a monster and and then the opposite, all in one person. (laughs) Yeah, I've done a lot of work to become aware of my shadow, essentially, of my darker side and wanting to know what's there and what I could be if, if things went really badly or really wrong or I went really wrong for a long time as a kid kind of tortured me I grew up with um kind of a family that really only wanted the positive side of life me and the rest of my family were just placed in really heavy situations for a while quite a while growing up and I was more comfortable with that than the others I didn't understand the positivity when there was just so much focus on that when there was just so much other stuff going on you know and I wasn't afraid of like just the negatives as much. I remember as young as elementary school swearing, I would do the opposite of what my parents valued or my mom valued. I have a lot more empathy and a lot more compassion for them now and for what they're going through. But it really did shape me because to me, they weren't being real. They weren't really diving into things. So I made that sort of my job. And I think that really shaped my tri-type. And I'm now at a place where I'm kind of just more comfortable with letting things be. I don't need to dive into the dark as deeply. There is a lot of hate in me and I don't, I control it. I ride herd on it, but I don't really feel bad about it. And there's a lot of well, love in me too. I realize I could love really unconditionally just because people are, you know, yeah. people are what they are. Yeah, there seems to be in this tri-type, I think one of the clearest offerings is that you you see what is. It's hard for you to understand why people can be staring at something that is just objectively a terrible thing and then gloss it with an optimistic spin when that just yeah. simply is not what is happening. <laughs> so there could even be yeah. scorn and some... I, uh, I've had to wrestle with a lot of that. A lot of the... <laughs> this is right in front of you. It's not as bad as it, you think it is, but it, I mean, it is bad, but... <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, but then at the same time, the like the gift of that is that because you can observe, you can now actually stare at the person that's glossing something over and and it's more data. You're like, okay, well, that also is a reality. Like there are humans that need to gloss over things. It's like a new data point that you can file away and then you can hold that too. And so you're now holding all the pieces, then you have more space for people. I'm honestly still working on that. I still am frustrated with people that <laughs> avoid that. I'm still, I'm 25. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you are young. You are young. It's heal or harm, you know? I'm comfortable with either. Heal is more helpful most of the time. 99.95% yeah. of the time. Um, <laughs> annoyingly, because there are some stupid people out there too. That's a fact. I think the four and the five, they both just want to like sink in different ways. They move downwards. And the eight is expansive. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, I think, like expanding downwards um, out yeah. too, and up because, I mean, they has seven right next to it, you know, and nine, which are both optimistic types or hope types, I think. There is, I think, a, in a sense of like expanding down endlessly. And my roots are deep, I would say. I was thinking about an oak tree, like just the, the width and depth of those roots. I'm always looking for more. I'm always looking for the experiences that will bring those things out and bring them to fruition. I think, I think part of that's the eight's expansiveness and part of that is the five wanting mastery. I want that over a lot of different things because a lot of different things fascinate me. It's not all uh, intellectual all the time. The four in me sees God as endlessly beautiful. The five sees God as endlessly interesting and mysterious. There's more to learn and know. And the eight sees God as the only one that can beat me. <laughs> Everything you just said there, that's fantastic. And I relate to that so very much. I'm undefeatable. Even I can't defeat me. But <laughs> God can. <laughs> yes. I mean, the only other 845 we interviewed, she's in the middle of dismantling her faith. So I don't know if I've ever not been going through that process with the details, but there is part of me that's just grounded in like, God's always been with me, you know? How does the four work in? How does it blend with your eight? I'm pulled to beauty, and I, and I think beauty is one of the things worth living for and worth fighting for. But aside from that, I think with fours, they can cultivate a sense of tragedy or drama. Um, and the way I think that combines with eight is gives me a sense of fighting against against tragedy, fighting like in the midst of tragedy, fighting even when I'm cut down and just always wanting to go forward. It also gives me sort of a sense for like, I can get a sense for individual people pretty well. I think it helps tie me to my humanity. People are endlessly confusing to me. <laughs> uh, the four and five are either really, really helpful together here or really not. <laughs> I think the five tied to eight reinforces eight's natural line to five. You know, it's not just the eight's drawn five, you know, when we're disintegrating, you know, it's not just one way that way. I think that's kind of been... It's not accurate, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the misconceptions. Yeah. I understand the five perspective very well in terms of, you know, to cut off the protective function. Eights are the protective function and fives are left with nothing. I've definitely had that sense of just having nothing but myself before you know I've, I've had that sense of not even just being like this this outsider being like on another planet yeah but on the flip side it really does help me think and help me stay logical and a little bit even keel in irish mythology one of their uh, sort of kings a guy named lou the long-handed before he's crowned king goes up to this this feasting hall and to get in he says they say that demonstrate mastery in something 
And so he says, do you have a master Cartwright? They said, yes, we do. Do you have anything else? And he said, do you have a master, you know, shipbuilder? So on and so forth, going through the whole list of like skills and trades and arts. And then it comes to the end and Lou finally asked, do you have a one that's master of all of them? And they said no, and they let him in. The important part of that was the mastery over different things. Five, you know, they want to research and develop their own authority. I think that resonates with the eight and that I'm, I'm really driven to study different things. I want to learn just the full scope of human knowledge and human skill. I dabble in a lot of different things, you know, just for the sake of learning and having these skills and saying I have them and still looking for the way to channel all that into like one point or one cohesive thing. But the eight energizes that. I think I was made to bring people back to a deeper experience of what it is and what it means to be human. That means creation and destruction both because humanity carries both. In this lifetime, in this world at least, it is as inhuman to be all good as it is to be all bad. Destruction isn't always bad and creating isn't always good. And so I was born to stand at the edge of the abyss. I was born to gaze into the mystery. I was born to let the flames consume me and the waters rise over me. I've broken myself down a thousand times just to build myself back up a thousand and one. In that I find transformation, I find healing, and I find growth. I don't fear these things, I don't fear the process, I don't fear the mystery, I don't fear creation, I don't fear destruction. But even if I did fear these things, someone needs to be able to see and witness the unlovable and say I love you. Someone needs to be able to see and witness and truly understand the monstrous in order to embrace the unembraceable. I will break myself on the rock of an impossible virtue, an impossible dream, an impossible faith. I'll go on an incredible and improbable quest or reevaluate everything I know from the ground up if it accomplishes my will to stand at the edge, to find out what is, and to see all the storm-tossed spirits and hearts struck down, lost and forgotten in the abyss, and pull them back out. Someone needs to. So why not me? That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>